This is an Odyssey original. This is War in Ukraine Daily. I'm Charles Feldman. I'm Mike Simpson from the KNX Odyssey Studios in Los Angeles. As the war is about to reach the one-month mark, it's increasingly that average Ukrainian citizens are paying the biggest price for Russia's invasion. Apartment blocks hit with missiles. Malls are leveled. In one case, a theater packed with the civilians was bombed. Ukraine is pushing back military, not walking away from that port city of Mariupol. And more refugees, they are fleeing. We'll look into where they're going and if many do plan to return home. And later in today's podcast, we will head to the Russian-occupied city of Kherson, where Russian troops have apparently attacked protesters. We'll talk with one woman caught in the middle of it all. We start with the latest example of the Russian military targeting civilians and the Ukrainian army refusing to give any ground. J.D. Williams is a senior international and defense policy researcher for the RAND Corporation. He's an expert in military intelligence and Russian and Chinese military strategy. The conventional wisdom is that the war in Ukraine is now a war of attrition between the Russian and Ukrainian militaries. Is that the case? And, and if so, how does, how does this end? That's, you know, that, that's a, a very difficult question. Um, I, I don't think it ends anytime soon as long as Ukraine continues to have some capability and the will to resist. Um, they've essentially kind of adopted a, a, you know, an armadillo or a porcupine strategy where they have um, retreated into the cities. They, they still have military outside the cities, but they're not standing and fighting um, the Russians, which would be to their disadvantage. Um, they're being smart about it. They're, they're engaging where the opportunity exists. And they're presenting the Russians with, you know, the most difficult, you know, one of the most difficult military problems, which is how to um, engage and take over um, very densely populated built up built up areas. The real question becomes, um, how long can the Ukrainians endure um, the toll that it's going to take on their civilian population, which is, of course, a a very heavy toll and, and very and very tragic. We've seen what the Russians have been doing to Mariupol, and we were just mentioning it. Why do they want that specific city? So why is it so strategic for them? So um, the the Russian, you know, kind of operational design, you know, had uh, three objectives. Um, the first and the, the the one they were most optimistic about was to to quickly you know make a run at and take over Kiev, at which point you've got the seat of government. You get the government to either surrender or relocate to the western part of the country, and you're you're on your way to achieving your political objective. Um, the second was to secure um, the eastern part of the country where they've already got their foothold with uh, the two breakaway provinces in the Donbass region. And uh, the, you know, the offensives around Kharkiv were, were, were intended to both do that as well as to support the move on Kiev. And then lastly, um, was to secure the southern part of the country, um, basically unify uh, or you know, get the territory that would allow them to unify uh, Crimea with with southern the southern part of Russia, take over the coastline of the Sea of Azov, and eventually you know onto Odessa and the and the, the rest of the Black Sea coast. 
So right now, Mariupol is one of the urban areas that is resisting. They've had the most success on that southern uh, avenue or that southern um, line of, of advance. They've had the most success there, but now Mariupol is kind of a strong point or a, um, a hard point that they, they can't manage to, to take. And so um, what they're trying to do at this point is sort of consolidate that southern corridor, then they could release forces to help reinforce other parts of their advance. Do you think that Putin has given up his uh, presumed uh, initial uh, aim of destabilizing or actually getting rid of the current government in, in Kiev and replacing it with a Russian puppet? Do you think that he's decided that that's not going to work? So he's opted instead for this, uh, you know, strategy of pulverizing the country? Um, no, um, actually just the opposite. I, I, you know, he's He has kind of held on to that objective. And now that his hope or design of achieving that objective quickly and easily has been thwarted. Now he's resorting to um, a much more um, brutal and uh, deliberate uh, attempt to, to go about it. And, and, you know, with the eventual end state of getting the, the Ukrainian government to capitulate. But you still think he wants to replace the current government? Yes, yes. Um, he, he wants to replace them or, um, you know, move them to the western part of the country and, and basically install Russian control over at least the eastern part of the country. J.D. Williams there, senior international and defense policy researcher at the Rand Corporation. Steady flow of refugees out of Ukraine not slowing down. U.N. now says close to three and a half million people have left since the war started. Another seven million have stayed in the country but left their homes to go to somewhere safer. Is there any safe place within Ukraine anymore? With us again is journalist Phil Itner, who is in Lviv, where air raid sirens are becoming a more regular occurrence now. Uh, Phil, so many people on the move. Are, are most Ukrainians still passing through where you are in western Ukraine? Yeah, uh, yeah, they're coming through Lviv on the train lines that stop here. It's the closest town to the border, and then they transfer over to uh, minibuses or just uh, other people uh, from around Ukraine or indeed from around uh, Europe uh, have come to the border, and they're, they're now ferrying people across. And so there's still a steady stream of people leaving uh, about a quarter of the entire population uh, of this uh, country of 40 million plus people are said to be displaced because of the conflict. Yeah. So the ones that are already in places like Poland, uh, we've talked to some people who are as far away as Greece and Spain. Uh, I suppose they may end up at some point starting a new life in those countries if they don't eventually go back to Ukraine. But what about all those millions who, as we mentioned, have been displaced from their homes who are still in the country, but they really don't have any homes to go back to. What do they do? Well, so far, the Ukrainian government has been trying to do as much as they possibly can to house them still within Ukraine. There's been a strong push by a lot of the, uh, the humanitarian and uh, aid groups uh, internally within Ukraine to try and keep the population here. They are afraid of a kind of uh, brain drain happening, as you say, as a result they may go to a, another country and, and start a new life and, and stay there. There could be a massive uh, Ukrainian diaspora as a result of this. So the government in Kiev is actually trying to 
get as many Ukrainians to stay on Ukrainian territory as they possibly can. But I've heard an awful lot of complaints from uh, some, some within Ukrainian leadership and NGOs and what have you that, that they need more help from the international community here internally within Ukraine, not across the border in Poland, although they're very thankful for the aid that they're getting there but they'd like to see their citizens stay here. We mentioned the air raid sirens uh, where you are in Lviv are more frequent. Now, how does how do things compare now to how, you know, when we were speaking a couple of weeks ago and it was relatively peaceful where you were in that city since it is so far to the west? Well, we've, we've definitely had a ratcheting up of uh, air raid sirens in the last week or so. I would say that attack uh, north of the city where they hit the aircraft repair facility, what was that, it, it all gets to kind of blur together. I think it was about four days ago, five days ago. Since that happened, yeah, there has been much more activity. Now, the Ukrainian authorities do admit that anytime they have anything in the air coming this direction, uh, whether it be a plane or a, a missile, um, it, they will sound that alarm, uh, even though the center of town here has, has not come into uh, come in uh, under uh, any kind of attack. It's mostly been the outlying military sites. But there are a couple of facilities, you know, there's a town north of us and a town south of us that actually do have much more military facilities. So if, if something's coming west, we hear it in Lviv because uh, better safe than sorry. And there has been an awful lot of talk recently from Ukrainian officials indicating that they're afraid that a fourth front could be opened up by uh, the Belarusians who are north of us, uh, the country that is basically a, uh, a, a, a surrogate for uh, the Kremlin. Uh, Lukashenko, the president there, has been in control since the fall of the Soviet Union. He's basically a puppet of Vladimir Putin's. And uh, the Ukrainians are saying that they're afraid that, that uh, they, may they might launch another offensive and try to drive down into western uh, Ukraine, uh, try to hit this town of Lutsk, which is about 100 kilometers, about, you know, what is that, 60 miles north of me. And that has people on edge here as well. But we are getting repeated air raid sirens. I mean, I get woken up every day. The, the, the Russians apparently like to start uh, shooting off ordnance around 6.30 or 7 in the morning. So I've taken the kind of uh, the gallows humor of saying it's my wake-up call. <laughs> Has the thinking changed over the past few days, weeks now, I suppose, on what the final outcome is likely to, to look like? Uh, for the Ukrainians, I would say no. Uh, they are determined that they are going to, you know, that they are going to take take back the land that has been uh, uh, ceded to, to Russia by force. Um, they have always said since 2014 that they intended to take back Crimea. My uh, assessment of the situation here, and this is again my assessment, so I'm, I'm verging on uh, kind of. Uh, uh, you know, my, putting in, inserting myself here in, in the answer, but um, uh, what my assessment is is that the Russians are highly unlikely to ever relinquish control of Crimea. It's where one of their uh, uh, primary uh, naval fleets is located, and for them, it's an existential threat. It would be like us losing uh, access to our bases in Okinawa or Diego Garcia. It would be it would hinder Russia's military naval pro uh, power significantly. So it's unlikely they're going to give up Crimea. And in order to keep Crimea, they've got to keep the land bridge. So I tell my Ukrainian friends, uh, you know, it's highly unlikely that that's going to happen, but they, they are determined to try and grab, you know, get back everything that was taken from them. Um, certainly they're likely to, uh, to 
ultimately pushed most of the Russian uh, territorial gains back to their original borders. But that question of Sevastopol and the Black Sea Fleet is, is going to loom large in any kind of uh, negotiated settlement, which ultimately there will have to be. And President Zelensky on that note has said at least, what, a couple times now, I want to talk to Putin, put us together for that. He has. He has indeed said that. But he's also warned that uh, he's only going to do it if uh, the Russians come to the table in good faith, because if those talks fail, uh, it will leave both sides with, with little alternative but to hash it out on the ground and, and uh, have a military victory on one side or the other. Of course, the Ukrainians believe because of their their morale and their determination to uh, maintain their own homeland that they have the, the fighting advantage as long as they're given the weapons. But the, the concern about a negotiation process is that if the if the Russians come to the table uh, in, a, in a in a kind of a stalling process or to try and uh, you know uh, scuttle the talks themselves so that they could walk away from the table and say well the Ukrainians are being unreasonable and try to sway global opinion that way uh, Zelensky wants no part of that. That's uh, Phil Itner, journalist who is in Lviv in Ukraine. Phil, thanks again and as always for talking to us. As we've been highlighting, the Russian military tactics, they're getting a lot more aggressive toward ordinary Ukrainians trapped in these cities, making for scary situations for people who haven't uh, fled, who are staying in their homes. So let's head back now to Kherson, which was a city in southern Ukraine that has been under Russian control. Olga is an English teacher there. She says the situation is getting bad and quickly with Russian troops targeting protesters today. Olga, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us under these very dire conditions. Tell us a little bit about what is happening inside Kherson right now. You know, uh, every day uh, our Kersonians uh, go uh, to the protest meeting in the central square. Uh, yesterday, there uh, on Sunday, there were about 4,000 people on the square and uh, people were protesting against uh, organizing a fake republic in the south of Ukraine as uh, uh, in Donbass. They want to repeat the same scenario. And uh, every, uh, today, fewer uh, protestants came because uh, it's a working day and the people uh, go to work uh, here. And uh, uh, occupants, uh, they were uh, in the center of the square uh, in front of protesters, and they uh, wanted uh, uh, to uh, humiliate uh, our uh, monument uh, uh, in the center and the road there that uh, our army kills people, uh, kills kids, and protestants try to uh, rub it off, and they start shooting uh, and uh, through the bo uh, through the uh, grenade in the crowd. A few uh, protestants were wounded. Uh, among them was uh, an elderly man who. Uh, who was, uh, there was a lot of blood near him. It was, uh, a grenade was uh, sound and uh, smoke grenade. Uh, and the people, of course, uh, were scared uh, with such actions. They want to scare people and to, to make them frightened and not to come to the protests. They don't want to listen, to hear that uh, people of Kherson, they don't want uh, to, uh, 
to go to Russia, to Crimea. They want to live uh, in, in independent Ukraine. In They want to be Ukrainians. They are Ukrainians. And they, sh uh, they we uh, always show there that we are Ukraine, Kherson is Ukraine, and uh, it's uh, it has to be stopped and Russians go home. Uh, and uh, it's uh, uh, it will go on and protest will uh, be every day. And uh, I don't know, but some some activists are already uh, kidnapped uh, and uh, people, uh, the Russians, uh, we call them Russians or uh, fascists, uh, uh, they go to uh, search uh, houses. They look for uh, uh, activists in Kherson and uh, for uh, veterans of uh, uh, war in Donbass. And uh, uh, people are stopped in the streets. Uh, it's uh, becoming uh, unbearable. Our uh, local uh, tower, uh, TV tower, is blocked. Uh, we don't have uh, Ukrainian channels in Kherson, and we can only watch uh, some uh, watch news on uh, YouTube, uh, the internet only. We get this inform uh, information. And uh, being a teacher, uh, we, our distance learning uh, go on. Uh, we try to distract people, uh, pupil, our pupils from uh, boy around. They are really scared. They don't know about their future. I am a teacher of senior classes, and uh, to to uh, to talk uh, to talk to them, to see their fright and their faces of unaware. Uh, they don't know what will be in their future. They don't want to. They want to uh, live in Ukraine. They study in Ukraine. They 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 are in despair. Our kids. We, uh, let me let me jump in there for a second because it strikes me that, that you're still doing your classes when all this yes. is happening and talking yes. about what you're seeing there on the screen on their faces what what do you say to them as their teacher right now well you know uh, we uh, it's very painful to talk about what we don't talk about what with students we uh, we try uh, to uh, to make them feel quite uh, safe, uh, at least at our lessons, not to think about war. Uh, we just, uh, uh, we don't discuss these questions. They are frightened. They, some of uh, uh, my uh, students, uh, uh, they even are scared of going out in their yard, not only in the street, but in their yard. And when I talked with uh, one of the students, he, he, uh, whether he works in the yard or not, he said, no, I'm scared. There are helicopters flying. And uh, it's a 10-year-old boy. Olga, you know? Olga uh, let me find out a little bit about you and, and your family and, and how you are managing to, to deal with all of this. Uh, Tell me a little bit about, I, we know you're an English teacher. Tell us a little bit about you and your family and, and what your, your own daily existence is like now. Oh, well, uh, it's, you know, uh, usually half of the day. We, uh, I live with my uh, son and his uh, wife and uh, uh, their son, my grandson, one-year-old grandson. And we are in search of uh, food every day, almost, uh, because there are great cures in the uh, shops. Uh, uh, 
lots of shops are empty. Uh, there is no medication at all. Our pharmacies are completely empty. They don't allow uh, humanitarian, uh, these green corridors or humanitarian, humanitarian corridors to bring us medications uh, to her son and uh, lack of insulin, of any painkillers, anything uh, we cannot buy now uh, for heart uh, diseases. So it's a great danger of uh, not not being, uh, not die from bombing, but die because of, we don't have med medication here. And they don't allow these corridors to, uh, to bring the uh, these supplies to us. Uh, we, uh, we just uh, try to... Uh, you know, my great, uh, uh, well, relaxation is my grandson. Uh, and we try to uh, to live as if nothing is happening, not to show him our, uh, our, uh, our not weakness, but our despair. And uh, is that hard to not show it? Or do you just concentrate on him because he's young enough where he has no idea what's going on. So at least you can get a moment you know, of yes. playing with the kid, right? <laughs> it helps. It helps me. Uh, it helps us to uh, to live through all, all this uh, nightmare. I, I say that nightmare, which uh, occurred uh, just unexpectedly, which uh, we we don't we don't deserve all this. What is happening now? And watching uh, news. Well, uh, when uh, when not with a kid, uh, I I I only either pray or or cry for uh, for his fate i'm uh, already a pensioner though i'm working but uh, i cry for my for my for my son and his wife and for my grandson it's uh, it's really hard to, to look at them and see what future is waiting for, for them in this uh, under this occupation I, uh, and uh... Olga, uh, as I'm sure you know, millions of Ukrainians have left the country. Uh, others, of course, are, are without homes but remain in Ukraine. Uh, why have you and your family elected to stay in Ukraine and not, and not head west? Well, first, uh, uh, you know, I love my town. I love my house. Uh, I, I could not even imagine that it would be such so hard. Though, even uh, uh, even now, I wouldn't uh, uh, leave. I think leave the country. Uh, only maybe if uh, they really keep stay here uh, and uh, organize. If they manage to organize under. Uh, guns uh, this fake republic, I will have to leave. I don't want to live under Russians, and I will never uh, go to school and teach my students uh, on Russian textbooks. What Maybe are, only this. What are they, the Russians, saying and doing? We talked about you know how they did break up the protests. They got violence yesterday you said but when they're in town are are you said they were going to go um you know damage one of the 
the, the, the monuments there, are they, have they declared it Russia? We, we've seen all these different stories of, of them coming in and, you know, providing fake, basically, humanitarian aid, saying, look, we're the ones here. We're helping you. Look at us liberate this space. I mean, what are they doing and saying as, since they have, you know, your city? Well, they don't do anything. They, uh, while we are protesting, they stand. Uh, they are standing with their full ammunition and guns. Uh, then uh, yesterday, they uh, they tried uh, to cut uh, uh, one group of uh, protestants from other with their war machines, and uh, the crowd, uh, the whole crowd, they just uh, run in front of the, the car. Uh, this. Uh, uh, machine and tried uh, to push it and uh, it moved back and uh, went away, uh, drew away. Uh, they don't say anything. They, uh, they just, uh, uh, I think, that follow some orders uh, which are not understandable for us. They to keep quiet and wait, wait, uh, and uh, they are uh, they are waiting for. Uh, us to stop resistance and uh, they want referendum, uh, fake, of course, fake referendum, because I am sure that uh, Kersonians will never go and uh, vote for uh, this independent republic, as they call it. Uh, they don't say, they, uh, some people say that uh, who talk to Russians, they and ask them, why, why did you come here? And what what are you doing here? You can you have to leave. They say we have nowhere to live. We cannot go back because we will be uh, uh, arrested. We cannot uh, uh, give in because we will be arrested. They have no choice. It's uh, it's what I have heard uh, from people who talk to them. Olga, uh, a lot of people in Ukraine have uh, or had, I suppose, uh, family and friends in Russia. Do you? No. No. Okay. I don't have. I don't have friends, uh, and don't have family. Uh, anybody there in Russia? Uh, and but again, uh, my uh, colleague, they. Uh, some colleagues have uh, fr uh, relatives, very close relatives in Russia, and when they told on the phone, described what is going on uh, in Ukraine, they don't trust. They say that we uh, we lie and uh, that uh, we we say uh, it cannot be true that their TV shows different picture and they trust their propaganda. So they actually believe these colleagues of yours with friends or family in Russia, those people in Russia are buying the, the lies they're being told that somehow Ukraine is the, the aggressor? Yeah, they, uh, they, they trust. Uh, most of them trust. You know, uh, I'm, uh, I, I lived in the Soviet Union. And I know how the, this machine works, uh, how it, it is brainwashed, how people can be brainwashed. And uh, I, I, I can understand them. They trust what uh, they, uh, they are told. They don't want to listen to any other point of view. Uh, they uh, tried, many, uh, my, my friends, my colleagues, they tried to explain there in Russia what is going on here. They don't trust, they, they cannot believe it. We are evil uh, and we are fascists. We are Nazis here, and uh, they 
They trust their TV. They even don't want to uh, to uh, to find the well to 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 watch the videos which the people our people send them. They say that it's uh, this uh, uh, some uh, uh, pictures which specially uh, uh, were uh, like performed for uh, for propaganda from Ukraine. They they really think so. Do you think that? breaks at some point or are they so far down that road that that they're not going to be able to come around well i know for sure one thing that uh, uh, for me for me there there will be no understanding forgiving what they have done to our country to my country and uh, uh, how they will live with it how they will celebrate uh, uh, if they if they win, but I I'm sure that they will not. But, but, how, they, but, but let me ask you a question though, because uh, you're a teacher and and you're saying you try to avoid uh, talking about the war with with students, but they are of course at a young age. They are at an impressionable age. Um, how do you avoid as a teacher making sure that they're not taught to hate, even though the situation is so bad in your country and what the Russians are doing to you and the world has recognized that is is such a horrible thing. Nonetheless, as a teacher, I think you would agree that you don't want students to grow into adults filled with hatred, right? Don't you think uh, they uh, see, they they know the truth. They know that kids, uh, that Small kids are killed. That maternity house is bombed. That schools are destroyed. That they they know everything. Do you think that they will they will forget it? No, there's a difference, of course, between forgetting uh, and 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 forgiving go- and and forgiving and 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 harboring hatred for the rest of their lives. Do you think that those very impressionable children? will grow up, and maybe they will, I don't know. You know your students certainly better than I do. Do you think that they will harbor that hatred in their own hearts, in their own souls, for the rest of their lives? Or will they be able at some point to forgive? I cannot I cannot tell for, uh, for all, all students, uh, but uh, those who uh, think, who uh, see, and who uh, is aware of what is going on around, I think that they will hate i i think so it's a, it's my point of view because i will ne- uh, uh, what i how i think i know that uh, my par- my parents uh, uh, after the war uh, with nazis uh, with fascists uh, lots uh, for 80 years uh, about 80 years uh, uh, till now nobody forgave and for, uh, and uh, and forget what what was done to our country and to Ukraine by Nazis. It's very hard to forgive. It's very hard to forget. And uh, our ruined cities, our Mariupol, which is 90% destroyed, do you think that our kids they will pay they will still pay for building this and they will be doing uh, reconstructing everything recovering 
their psychic is already ruined. They are now afraid because they are small, they want to live, they want to live as they have used to live in our country, free, happy, uh, in uh, dignity. And now they will be suppressed and they will be shut down by Russians because they don't allow any free exp uh, uh, any freedom, even attempt to, to be free. It is suppressed. Olga there, English teacher in uh, Kursan. Olga, thank you so much for talking to us. Please stay safe. You and the family, uh, the best from, from us to you, and, and we hope we can speak again. This is an Odyssey original. Find us and others on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and on Stitcher. Thank you.